Welcome to First Reading, the Old Testament Lectionary Podcast. I'm Rosie Candethel. And I'm Tim McNinch. Our eminent co-host, the Reverend Dr. Rachel Wren, is off this week. We've got two possibilities for the first reading on Sunday, September 18th, as we do throughout the season following Pentecost. Rosie's going to walk us through it, so uh, where should we begin? Yeah, once again, I'm going to remind listeners that the Revised Common Lectionary offers two different sets of Hebrew Bible readings during the season after Pentecost during ordinary time. You don't say. Yes, once again. Ah, but you want preachers to choose a lane. So uh, which lane are you taking us through this week? Right on, right? So uh, this week of September 18th, it offers Jeremiah 8, verses 18 to chapter 9, verse 1 for the semi-continuous readings on the prophets. But for the thematic reading, we have Amos 8, verses 4 through 7. It's a short prophetic speech in the style of a lawsuit, which, you know, I can't resist. (laughs) (laughs) Charging the listening audience with exploiting the poor through price gouging, inflation, and false currencies. So this thematic or complementary Old Testament reading ties in nicely with the gospel lection from Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 13, in which Jesus tells a rather difficult parable uh, that commends the a dishonest manager for committing financial crimes. You know, <laughs> this is the one where uh, Jesus compliments a financial manager for looking out for himself. Now, I'm going to take us through the thematic reading from Amos 8, as I think it helps us consider some larger themes of how our finances reflect our spirituality and provide barometers of personal and social health. Great. And then are you going to explain the parable? I wish I could. Uh, That one's, yeah, it's probably above my pay grade, right? That's why I'm Hebrew Bible and not New Testament. We'll have to get a New Testament scholar to tell us once and for all what's going on there. Well, Rosie, take it away. By way of preliminary background, right? So we're going to want to remember who Amos is, right? So Mm -hmm. Amos was a prophet who hailed from Judah in the south and specifically from the town of Tekoa, from, I'm not even saying, sure if I'm saying that right, from the town of Tekoa, about 10 miles from Jerusalem. His prophetic mission took him up north, however, to the kingdom of Israel, where his preaching centered on social justice issues, condemning the ruling classes for crushing the poorest members of their society, and promising God's judgment. Now, we have some uh, autobiographical information about Amos's background. What we know is that he didn't come from the elites or upper classes. He wasn't one of the prophetic guilds, a member of that group, or of the priestly groups. He was essentially a farmer from the South who claimed to have experienced a call from God to head up North with this message. Mm -hmm. Now, he's probably active in the 8th century Uh, BCE. Uh, And that's important because this was a time when the Northern Kingdom in Israel was experiencing some economic and military security. Now, that was through advantageous alliances with neighboring powers, especially Syria, which brought a new wealth and security uh, that seemed to be within grasp for a certain class of people in Israel. Right. Now, Amos's preaching really unsettles the basis for this newfound wealth and security, warning his audiences that such profit and comfort comes at a very high cost and God is keeping tabs, right? So Mm -hmm. this relatively short reading from Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 7 is a good example of Amos's message and rhetorical style. Mm, Great. So that's really a a good sort of uh, snapshot of Amos's context and kind of what's going on in this book. So how does that play out in these particular verses? 
Right. I'm really glad you asked, right? So the first thing I want to dwell on is the language that Amos uses. And for that, we'll want to look at the Hebrew because that's where the dynamism of this message really comes alive. <laughs> I love it when we can highlight the Hebrew for our listeners. So uh, yeah, what, what do we have here? Okay. So right at the outset, right, we get the prophet shouting. We've seen this before with other prophetic messages that we've looked at. There are the imperatives here, which is shemuzoth, right? So what the NRSV translates as hear this with a comma has more of the feeling of a shout, a demand for attention, like listen up all of you, right? Mm -hmm. So we might conjure here right away the picture of a preacher with zeal in his eyes in public as he launches into his next line, right? You people who show a theme the needy and lash beat the poor of the land, right? So I've stuck some Hebrew in there, but mm -hmm. the NRSV translates uh, this as trample the needy and bring to ruin the poor of the land. But there's some wordplay in the Hebrew here that gets obscured in the translation. So this word show a theme also relates to inhaling, sha'af, eagerly gulping up, swallowing, right? So what's happening is the prophet is drawing attention to our habits of consumption, the eager desire, our appetite for swallowing up people and their labor, which is implicated in the wealth and luxury and benefits that this audience that he's addressing is enjoying. Mm. So yeah. that phrase also, lashbit, the poor of the land, relates to the word Shabbat, Right which in this intensive, hefal infinitive construction means forcing to stop, ceasing, desisting, and in essence, just as the NRSV renders it, bringing the poor to ruin, forcing the poor to stop, to fail, to thrive. The wordplay here uh, intensifies Amos's mocking indictment using a bunch of rhetorical questions in verses five through six. So Amos imagines and acts out this little dialogue in which the people in the audience complain, when will these darn religious festivals be over so that we can get back to business? Like, <laughs> when will the Sabbath be over so that we can sell our wheat? We got to make some money here. We're going to maximize profit by rigging the system so that you get less food for more money. Uh, as the verse reads, buying the poor for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals, and what we normally throw out as chaff and unfit for consumption as food, that's what we're going to sell. Mm. Yikes, that is a dark little play that Amos is putting on for his audience. That's right. Amos is on his soapbox, like deliberately holding up a mirror to what he sees. What we see in the Hebrew in Amos's rhetoric is a tie back to how these commercial practices, this eager drive to buy and sell, makes us not only look at our ritual observances as annoyances, but also to look at certain people the same way, as mere annoyances, obstacles, getting in the way of an all-encompassing profit margin. And Amos is saying that our attitude toward our finances is not just a personal belief or conviction, but a spiritual matter of vital communal importance. Mm. What made Amos's audience view the prohibition on commerce on the Sabbath as an interruption to the real life of making money is connected to how we treat people. And it's the same perspective that ensures that certain people fail to thrive in our societies. Wow, that sounds so modern, so <laughs> contemporary. Like, I could see you moving toward a preaching angle there. Right, right. And I think whenever we start talking Amos, we're in a realm rich with preaching connections to our own modern situations, right? Amos's message wasn't popular with audiences then. 
and his highlighting of the interconnections between economic, social, and spiritual justice here also isn't something we like talking about in America. Mm. Amos is getting at the heart of something true both then and now. Our wealth has moral dimensions. American prosperity and wealth, which is what I benefit from too, comes at the expense of others with less power and less resources. Our little luxuries means someone might be going without. So the fast fashion that I buy online comes at the expense of unjust labor practices. The food that I buy, the cell phone that I use, the very air I breathe and the climate I enjoy, it's all connected to a larger world of material and people. And the things we enjoy as nice extras, well, they cost. One person's capital gain means someone else's loss and someone who might not be able to afford it. So here Amos is underscoring that justice, right living, includes acknowledging that our creature comforts are expensive, that we live in a connected world. Hmm. When we spend our money in ways that exploit others, it's abusive and it's offensive to God. And Amos is pointing that out. We ignore this truth at our own peril. As Amos says, doom is ahead. Hmm. Jesus's parable that I alluded to, you know, at the top of our, our podcast is about the dishonest money manager, right? And difficult as it is, his parable connects to the principle that wealth, when it comes down to it, is about relationships too. Wealth can be about cultivating relationships and valuing others as precious. It's not wrong to be wealthy per se. Jesus had lots of wealthy patrons and influential friends, but that didn't keep Jesus from keeping it real about money either. I know it's not easy to talk about our relationship to money and wealth from the pulpit, but there's a reason why every one of the prophets and so much of the Bible addresses economics. Mm -hmm. The lectionary really provides an opening, I think, this week to draw our collective attention toward our spending and ways that we can repent and make changes that align better with our values. Yeah, I mean, the, the Bible doesn't shy away from talking about money and economics, and especially in the prophets. And I think preachers would be wise to follow in, in that tradition, even if it is a little uncomfortable. Yeah, it was certainly, it felt uncomfortable to me too this week. I was like, oh, there's a, a lot that I should be looking at in my own spending habits and the easy way that I use my credit card. <laughs> right, right. Well, that seems like a great place to leave off for this week. So thanks so much, Rosie, for helping us with this challenging text. Well, we hope that this has been a helpful conversation for all of you out there, too. You can find back episodes of the podcast on our website, firstreadingpodcast.com. While you're there, um, you know, pick up something from our snazzy merch page or make a donation to support the podcast. We really appreciate your support to help keep this resource going, uh, just as we are grateful to Trinity Lutheran Seminary at Capital University for the grant that they've given us. And finally, we'd love to hear from you. How are you using this podcast? What are you finding helpful? You can write to us uh, at firstreadingpodcast at gmail.com or maybe leave us some uh, feedback on our Facebook page. Well, until next time, I'm Tim McNinch. And I'm Rosie Candlethal. Thanks for listening and have a great week.